our message text this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 4. Um, Pastor Mark will be starting in verse 6 through 13. Um, I'm going to pick up at the beginning of the chapter. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Now picking up verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You may be seated. Good morning. Kyle, thank you for reading the scriptures today. Appreciate that. Thankful for all who are in attendance as we're coming to this time of looking at this text of scripture that I hope and pray God will use to challenge and encourage and equip us as we live out our lives as followers of Jesus on this earth. As Kyle read the text, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And so this concept of the Sabbath, the Sabbath rest, we go back to the Old Testament and we know that the, the observance of the Sabbath was a very significant part of the faith and practice of the Jews and Judaism and the things that they, they did. And ask the question, well, how significant is the Sabbath? How important did God see that as it related to the children of Israel? Well, Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 and following, it says this, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness... 
they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord commanded Moses. This is a section of Scripture in the Old Testament that many uh, opponents of biblical truth and many who would uh, mock the Christian faith and the practice of the Scriptures and religion would reference and say, this is the kind of God that you serve and talk about. A God who would stone people to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Well, the Sabbath, very significant in the practice. It was God's law. I think this type of uh, punishment seems harsh to many. But when we fail to understand what God was speaking to represent as it relates to the Sabbath and all that was entailed in that, if we don't understand the substance of what the Sabbath represented, because any person who would not choose to rest in God and rest in what He had said and what He promised to do and then took it upon themselves to work in addition to that, and work in addition to God, they would be condemned. <clears throat> they, were, they were commanded to rest in God on that day. And failure to do that would be setting forward this representation that resting in God on the Sabbath day is insignificant because it's representing something far more important than just a day. <clears throat> it is representing what happens when we fail to rest in the work of Christ for us. And when we fail to rest in the work that Christ has done for us, what happens is not just physical death, but eternal death and eternal damnation. And God wants people to understand, this is significant. What my truth comes out to speak to the people and why it's to be observed is not to be taken lightly. This is what the Sabbath day is about. We'll talk more about that as we get into the text today. But as we look at verses 6 and 7, we see that the promise of entering God's rest continues. Since, therefore, <clears throat> it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate 
It's referencing all the way back to the time when God's commands to go into the promised land and take the land and, and do what he's said was absolutely defied. <clears throat> they failed to enter that rest, the promised rest of God in the land. And then later, David, King David, is communicating this. We're talking about a significant period of time. But Peter, the writer here, Hebrews, is saying the door for entering God's rest is not closed. That door is still open. Some are going to enter, but some will not. The Jews of the wilderness generation chose self-preservation rather than trusting God and entering that land that was promised to them. The appeal to enter the rest of God still applied to the people of God during the time of David and King David when this same idea is presented to them. Enter that rest. Enter that rest. And today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So the certain day, today, refers to the opportunity to enter God's rest offered to the Jewish people of the Exodus. In other words, what this is saying is it retains its viable application to the Jewish people of David's day. The promise being so long afterward, hundreds of years after it was first spoken, and the, that condemnation was first given to the Israelites who did not enter the land, it still remained viable during the time of David, hundreds of years later. A lack of faith in the enabling power of God led to acts of disobedience, and the lack of faith in the enabling power of God still leads to acts of disobedience. Believing the right things is important. Coming to an understanding of what God teaches and what God says is significant and would never want to downplay the substance of that. But believing the right things without following through with obedience is a decision not to trust and not to enter the rest that God has provided. When we believe things but we don't walk in obedience... We can feel good about what we think we know and what we think we understand. And as a matter of fact, many of us could probably give a huge clarification and we could probably school some folks on teachings, doctrines, and theology. But the reality is, what's going on in our lives? What's happening in the way that we live? Are the truths that we espouse being practiced? Are we walking in obedience to the things that God has told us we need to do? Jesus told his disciples after communicating things to him, them about the importance of him following their, his example, even in washing the, the feet of the disciples. He said, I've set an example for you that you should do as I've done. And then he goes on and he says this. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
You see, obedience is critical. We can believe all the right stuff and still miss the mark because we're not submitting ourselves to the truth and authority of Christ and saying, I'm going to walk in obedience. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. Not just hears only. Deceiving yourselves. We can maybe feel pretty good about the fact that we come to church every week and we, we sit in a church building with other followers of Jesus and man, I mean, you come and you hear the Bible read and you hear prayers prayed and you hear messages that are taught from the Bible. And we can say, man, I, I, I'm going to church. And I'm, I mean, it's Norwood Bible Church, right? And I mean, we're really serious about the Bible. And believe me, we are. But it's not just enough to come and attend and listen and learn. What is, what is the truth of God's word doing in your heart? And how is it exposing areas of your life and sins and weaknesses and pressing you into Christ to transform the way you live out these truths day to day? That's what's really important. Not just hearing the word, but doing it. The reality is, is no unbeliever experiences spiritual rest and peace with God. There is no unbeliever that will have peace of heart and rest with God. And no one who knows the truth and fails to follow through with obedience experiences spiritual rest and peace with God. That's why lives many times... Even people that attend church regularly, their lives are in turmoil. They're ups and downs. On again, off again. It's turmoil. Why? Because they hear the word, they know the word, but submitting yourself to the standard of God's word when it's so outdated, what is the point of that? This Bible is not outdated. This Bible is extremely relevant. It meets us where we live, and God communicates with clarity what we're to know and what we're to do. And it's our privilege to receive truth from God and to be guided into paths of righteousness, obedience for His namesake. No one who knows the truth and fails to follow through with obedience experiences spiritual rest and peace with God. Back to verse 18 of chapter 3. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Those who were disobedient. 
So the admonition of the psalm applies to the people of God today just as it's applied to the people of God in the past. And the point being, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear the teaching of God, if you hear the teaching of God's word, and you recognize that this is what God has called us to do, this is the way that God has called us to live, and God wants us to walk in obedience, and we fail to do that, we're hardening our hearts. For all who battle opposition and oppression because of living and sharing the truths of Jesus, true rest is yours. You you can't believe this, live this, walk in the reality of this, and not experience opposition and oppression. If you're going to walk in the truth, you're going to experience what Jesus experienced. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to do what? Persecute you also. If they rejected me, Jesus said, they're going to reject you. That sounds like fun, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like fun. And it's challenging and it's hard. But brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the way we enter the rest of Christ, is being willing to walk in obedience to what we know God has told us to do, regardless what people think, regardless what people say, regardless what people do to us. We have a responsibility to walk in truth. This is a hard thing for us to understand, because comfort is a very precious thing to every one of us. Agreed? We all like to be comfortable. We'd be kidding ourselves to think we don't. Don't you like it when things just fall into place easily? That's always nice, isn't it? But when you put your heart and mind to the Word of God and you say, I've got to believe these things and I've got to walk in obedience to this stuff, then it's going to bring us in direct conflict with the spirit of the age and the people of this world that walk in darkness. Even the reality that we live in a culture of death and we're to be a people of life. And we're to stand for life. And we're to stand up for truth. And we're to stand forward and we're to try to promote truth and we're to promote righteousness and we're to try to promote the light of Christ on this earth and we should do everything we can because God ought to, shouldn't the truth of God transform our lives? Should we be changed by the word of God and what he's doing? Now, are we to be self-contained in that? No, that should be impacting the people around us. It should be impacting the society in which we live and it should be our commitment to walk in the light as he is in the light. And the Bible commands us not to participate in the fruitless deeds of darkness, but to expose them. And I would encourage all of us to do everything we can to promote truth and righteousness on this earth, to advance that. You say, well, that, even signing, signing a petition... Boy, that's dangerous, huh? 
Signing petition is no big deal. You can put your name on something say, oh, I support that. But then when you take the petition, you say, I'm going to go out and try to gather signatures to try to get people to stand up for life. Well, well there might be some people that might not like you, might not you know, say kind and warm things to you. In fact, they might insult you. And they might accuse you of not caring about women's rights. All for the sake of slaughtering children. Folks, our lives are being transformed. This is just one area of which it's to be transformed. But if we in our, in our own safety and security and comfort can't even get outside that bubble, what are we saying? I think we need to create... Keep pressing on with truth and obedience. Some of you in your family situations, your commitment to walk in truth and to, to be one who takes the Word of God seriously and to put it into practice regularly, consistently, has caused opposition to you and your family. You have family members that don't like you, that say harsh and mean things to you about what you do. I just encourage you Entering God's rest through obedience is more important than any affirmation you'll get on this, the face of this earth. Stand in truth. Rest in Christ. He is there for you. I'm not saying it's easy and I'm not saying it's fun. I'm saying that being committed to walk in truth is important. I'm not saying that we're not going to experience oppression and opposition and difficulty. I am trying to say to you who are experiencing oppression, opposition, and difficulty, hang in there. Trust in Christ. You're entering His rest. This is important for you. Keep pressing on in truth and obedience. Take comfort in the fact that the Lord is with you. The work of Jesus is our Sabbath rest, verses 8 through 10. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. The children of Israel were told to send in spies, spy out the land, come back, bring report, bring back some of the fruits of the land. And then when they came back, 10 of the spies said, we... It's, yeah, it's absolutely exactly what God said it was. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. Look at the produce. Look at all this stuff. But there's fortified cities. There are giants in the land. We're, there's no way in the world we can do this. And Caleb and Joshua said, that, hey, we can do this. God is with us. They failed to enter the land. But later on, Joshua did lead the people into the land. And after Joshua led them into the land, and they occupied the land... And according to the book of Joshua, not one promise of that land's occupation failed to be fulfilled. Was that the end of it? For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. The occupation of the land led by Joshua didn't fulfill the promise of entering God's rest. Psalm 95, Hebrews Chapters 3 and 4 restate the promise long after Joshua had led the children of Israel to occupy the land. 
opportunities to enter God's rest remain. And they remain today. We are afforded this message of hope that we too can enter the rest of God. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So the writer of Hebrews now calls God's rest that the people of God enter a Sabbath rest. So then there remains a Sabbath rest. He had been saying they enter the rest of God. They enter God's rest. Now he specifies it as the Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest comes from the Greek word sabbatismos. And it is the idea of a Sabbath observance. The observance of that Sabbath rest. The Greek word for the day of Sabbath is sabbaton, not sabbatismos, but sabbaton. This word refers to Saturday, the seventh day of the Jewish week, a ceremonial day of rest. In one of the commentaries, it made this description, which I thought was very appropriate, speaking about what the Sabbath was. In Jewish observance, the Sabbath was celebrated as a festival, a day set apart for rest and praising God, as well as for eating and drinking. That was what characterized the Jewish people. It was a day set apart for rest and praising God, feasting, eating, drinking. That was what the Sabbath was. The fourth of the Ten Commandments speaks specifically to the Sabbath. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. When the writer of Hebrews uses the description of the rest of God as a Sabbatismus, a Sabbath observance, I don't believe that what he's requiring the New Covenant Christians to do is to set apart Saturday as the particular day of the week for worship, rest, and feasting. Now, hear me out. What I'm going to say is not agreed to by everybody in the evangelical world, so I always love it when I'm able to talk about things like this because I actually get your attention for a while. teasing you. You guys are very attentive people, and I appreciate that. But I want to think, talk about this a little bit. Following the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, new covenant followers of Jesus gathered for worship and fellowship on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, and they called it the Lord's Day because that was the day that he was resurrected. No one would question that, doubt that. It's clearly stated in Scripture. Now, that being said, many good and godly people, and I want to emphasize good, godly people, those who subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith and the 1689 London Baptist Confession, both of which I think are amazing documents, incredible insights, 
but I would also say, but they're not inspired. When I say they're not inspired, it's like, okay, they're good, they're helpful, they're very beneficial. These were put together by good and godly people, but they're not breathed out by God like His Word. Are we understanding this? Okay, so that means we can't look at every jot and tittle of those documents and say, hey, it's all got to be inspired and truthful. Yet, there are many people who almost talk like that and say those kinds of things, and that's concerning at times, just to people like me. Those who subscribe to the Westminster Confession and those who subscribe to the 1689 London Baptist Confession believe that the Sabbath day was transferred to Sunday, the Lord's day in the New Covenant. I personally am not persuaded that that is the case. Now, that being said, I want you to understand too that in our beliefs and practices as God's people, we would say there are some open-handed issues and there's some closed-handed issues. Okay, there are things that we're okay with, you know, we can have varying opinions on, but on the foundational, the fundamental things, we're going to be closed-handed in this. What I believe about the Sabbath, I think, is an open-handed issue. I don't think it's a matter of, you know, saying, well, if you, if you believe something different than what I believe, you're going to hell, or you're a false teacher. I'm not saying that, okay? But I just don't think that going to church on Sunday is now we're celebrating the Sabbath because the Sabbath was Saturday, and it was uniquely targeted in that way, but it was also targeted in that way for the purpose of bringing a testimony to the new covenant age where we enter the rest of Jesus Christ once and for all. That rest, that Sabbath rest that we have in Christ is amazingly portrayed in the fact. And that's why when they stoned that man for picking up sticks, it was so important because it's represent representative of resting in God's work on the behalf of his people. And to not rest in the work that God gives brings eternal damnation, eternal death. So when people ask me if I observe the Sabbath, I say yes. Because Jesus is my Sabbath rest. And I rest in his Sabbath rest every day. That's how I feel about this. And I'm, I'm open to dialogue, discussion, but that's how I'm trying to operate in biblical obedience and truth as best I can. It is the Lord's Sabbath. And it's the Sabbath rest that he secured for me and that he secured for all the people of God. But as I said before, I believe this is an open-handed issue. There are many good and godly people that believe that in the new covenant, the Sabbath is transferred from Saturday to Sunday. And that that makes this day, that day of Sabbath rest alone. But I offer this to kind of lend some of the support to the way I'm understanding this. In Romans 14, in the context as Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he gets to chapter 14, he now 
addresses some matters that he calls disputable matters or decisions on opinions. Uh, the King James renders it doubtful disputations. Kind of a neat way of phrasing it, isn't it? Uh, these are decisions on opinions. And so he goes through and he talks about some things that really are kind of open-handed issues that are here that people hold differing opinions about. And he tells people, whatever you believe about these things, okay, it's between you and God, but you need to be fully persuaded in your own mind. In other words, you better have some practical biblical instructions that you're drawing from the principles of God's word to support what you believe about these matters. But there may be other Christians who have their biblical support that differ from you. Let's not make these issues matters of fellowship and participation. Okay? That's the idea. In that context, Romans 14, verses 5 and 6, it says this, speaking of these types of things. He says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day honors it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. The one who gives thanks, since he gives thanks to God, while one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. There's practices here. People are doing different things for reasons that they feel persuaded in their own heart are guiding them and directing them, but they have differing opinions on. And Paul's saying these are decisions on opinions. Now, in my opinion, when he says one day is held above another, and yes, another esteems all days alike, it just seems in my mind that he's got to be referring to the Sabbath here. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, as on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are shadows of the things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. So we can have differing opinions about this. I consider my Presbyterian brothers, brothers. And those who champion the Westminster Confession... Praise be to God for them. They are faithful, loyal people of God. I don't agree with everything they say because I believe that God's new covenant people should be baptized after conversion by immersion in water. And that's the right way. And when we get to heaven, they'll all understand that. <laughs> but when we think about Christ, all these are shadowing these things. The Sabbath, these things are coming forward. They are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Because of the work of Jesus Christ, we can rest in his finished work. We're not about doing this on our own. Not to rest in the finished work of Christ brings eternal condemnation. Folks, this is serious. What these things represent is important for us to understand. We need to recognize that the Word of God is powerful and it's important. And we need to have categories to understand these things. And we need to be able to give an account for why we believe what we believe. And that's what I'm trying to do today. 
Failure to trust and walk in the truth is a failure to enter God's rest, verses 11 through 14. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's interesting, isn't it? There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Rest. I mean, when you think about rest, you, you stop from your own works. You rest in the works that God gives to you. Now, it's interesting. He comes to verse 11. He says, it's almost paradoxical. It's like, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. You need to strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So how important is entering the rest of God? So important that we need to strive to enter it. You need to make every effort to enter this rest of God. So what does striving to enter the rest of God look like? It means that we believe in the power and the promises of God. We believe that when God revealed His truth to us, when He teaches us in His Word, and He reveals these promises, and He speaks of His power, we take that to heart. We say that God who said this, I believe Him. And I don't just believe that academically. I believe that practically in the way I'm going to live my life. I'm going to trust these promises, and I'm going to rely on God's power. In the face of overwhelming odds from a fresh from a fleshly perspective, we advance the gospel of the kingdom with obedience. By making that statement, I think all of us will have to recognize that as we're working to advance the gospel kingdom of Christ, our weaknesses become readily apparent, don't they? Our weaknesses, our struggles, our difficulties, every day we struggle with some things. We waver when we know God would have us to be firm. There's weaknesses that come. Where are we to look? Our enemies, many times, are formidable. We can kind of relate to the, to the Israelites, can't we? Standing there, listening to the report of the spies that went into the land. Man, the cities are fortified. They got well-trained armies. And some of the folks over there are huge. They're giants. And the people begin to quake in fear. We can relate to that, can't we? Because our enemies many times are formidable. Yet our security and victory through Jesus Christ is certain. You and I need to rest in that confidently. That's what it means to enter the rest of Christ. We believe Him. We take Him at His word. We hold these promises to our hearts. We believe them. Like what is stated in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, 
we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In spite of all the challenges, in spite of all the difficulties, in spite of all the opposition, all the hardship, all the persecution, all the affliction, you are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. He is there with you. When those family members speak against you, Christ is there with you. And he supports you and he sustains you and he upholds you with his righteous right hand. When your friends forsake you, those near and dear to you who've accompanied you and they turn away from you and walk away, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with you, child of God. When people abandon us, people in the, the church and that have been part of us for so long, and then they say, see ya. God is with you, child of God. He is there for you. You're not alone. You're not forsaken. You see, turning from disobedience means that we trust the power and the presence of our Lord is stronger than our weaknesses and mightier than our enemies. That's the comfort we have on this earth. That's what it means to enter the Sabbath rest of Christ. He goes on, verse 12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow, and is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What is he talking about here? Is he not talking about the word of God? Yeah, absolutely. Clearly. It's clearly the Word of God he's talking about. For the Word of God is what? Living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So if our faith is weak, what are we to do? Romans 10 verse 17 says this, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our faith needs to be built and reinforced. And we need to do that through learning, knowing, and applying Scripture. Knowing what Jesus has taught us, knowing what he spoke, and how that's applied to us, even in the teachings of the apostles in the New Testament. And... Rosari Butterfield's most recent book, which I would highly recommend, she makes this statement, and this is not an exact quote. I put it in quotations, but it's not an exact quote, but it's something like this. We read the Word of God, and the Word of God reads us. You spend time in the Word, you read it, and then you find out the Word of God is actually reading you. It, up, it opens us up. It exposes us. It shows us who we are in the light of truth. If this is not a common experience for you when you spend time in the Word, you're either checking off the box or you're reading it for self-glory. 
The Word of God expresses the being and will of God, and that's powerful. It's huge. It's a burning bright light that goes into our heart. We serve a living God whose Word is living as well. It's amazing how, as he describes the Word of God, how many of these things are absolutely descriptive of God. The Word of God has life-giving and life-sustaining power. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable by the living and enduring Word of God. It's alive. It takes on a dynamic. It's powerful. And we should understand that as we read it. This is not just an academic exercise. We're encountering the living God through His living Word. God's word is active, meaning it's capable of fulfilling its intended purpose. What's its intended purpose? To build our faith so that we walk in obedience. Isaiah 55 and verse 11 says this. God says, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Man, you can trust the word of God. I think it was Spurgeon that said, you don't... You don't defend the word of God just like you don't defend a lion. What do you do? You let the lion out of his cage. He can take care of it. God's word, it's powerful, it's amazing. It's been entrusted to us. It is sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and the spirit of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A two-edged sword refers to a thrusting weapon. Sharpened to inflict great damage. <laughs> the Word of God is, is a weapon that God uses to inflict that damage on you and I. The point is to describe the Word's piercing razor sharpness. Not to say that there's a discernible difference between the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. And the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's not the point. The point he's trying to stress is, man, the word has piercing abilities. It can penetrate with exactness so that the truth of God gets where it needs to go and accomplish what he desires. Folks, this should be our heart when we're spending time in the word. God, what is it you need to expose and sharpen that so it cuts me open and lets me see who I am, what I need to be, where I need you. And when we share it with others, we should share it with that kind of... You just don't go... You send people to the hospital dying, right? We need to use this as the tool that God intended it to be used as. It's described as a hammer. There's a use for a hammer, but a hammer can be destructive, can't it? The Word of God is described as a fire. Fire can be very useful, but it can also be very destructive. The Word of God is a sword. It has piercing, penetrating exactness. We need to use it skillfully. God uses it skillfully on us. Let's be sure we're using it skillfully on others. God's Word can reveal the heart's wavering loyalties. And when the Word of God reveals a hesitancy to trust and obey... What do we need to do? We need to confess that as sin. 
We need to repent and we need to press into Jesus. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That should be the way we approach God's word, and that's the way we should go to God in prayer. God, change me. Open me. Help me to see these things. I need to know what you're at work at. It never ceases to amaze me how quickly we as God's people today on this earth, in this day and age, we will say without reservation, yes, I, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Amen? Right? And you will say, will you not? Even as a sinner saved by grace, you battle with sin, don't you? Yes? You have weaknesses, don't you? But when we get right down to nitpicking on this and say, what is your sin? What's your weakness? Mom's the word. We don't even know what to say. You know what that tells me? We've become deadened and insensitive to the piercing, penetrating power of God's word. We need to be open to this. You and I are works in progress. We're not what we should be yet. None of us have arrived. Not one of us. We all should be able to account to anyone. Here's what I'm battling with. Here's some of my weaknesses. And they should be ready on our lips because they're ready in our prayers. Because God's word has exposed them to us. We have some work to do, don't we? We kind of like the psalmist. We know how to cover things up. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. In verse 13 it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We may be able to pull the wool over the eyes of others. You may be able to let everybody else around you think you're, doing, you're knocking it out of the park. But you know, we'll never be able to escape the all-seeing eye of God. You may fool some of the people some of the time, including yourself, but you'll never fool God. You'll never fool God. You say, so what am I supposed to do? I, I know this is true, and I know the truth is there. What am I supposed to do? I want to enter the rest. I want to walk in obedience. When God exposes your sin, what should you do? 1 John 1, 9 and 10, if we confess our sins. The word confess means to say the same thing about your sin that God says. It doesn't mean verbally just say, this is what it is. It means you're seeing that sin in the same way God sees it. That's what it means to confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Folks, God wants us to understand there's cleansing grace in Christ. It's available for us. Confess your sin. It's good. God can make it right. And let's walk in obedience. Let's walk in obedience. Some questions to consider. In what ways is your life characterized by entering the rest of God? If you were 
to describe that to other people, what would you say? Here's how I know that I'm entering God's wrath. This is how I know. These are the manifestations of the obedience that God has inspired within me. These are the things he's challenged me to do, and these are the things I've done. What is the significance of Jesus to the Sabbath rest of God that we're given? Jesus is important. He's the fullness of this. All these things were a shadow. The fullness is Christ. What does striving to the inner that rest look like to you? How would you describe that? What does it mean to strive to enter the rest? And how would you describe the importance of the piercing and reeling power of God's word to you as in entering that rest? Sometimes he has to lay us open to give us rest. Sometimes he has to just let us see exactly who we are and what we're like. We're revealed between, before the all-seeing eye of God. James 1, verses 22 and following. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets at once what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. That means he continues doing that. No hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. May God equip us to put his word into practice and enter that rest. God, we come asking you to work in our hearts and our lives as your people. Not just individually, God, but corporately. We want to believe you and take you at your word, God. We need you to build our faith. We don't want to be reserved and we don't want to be hesitant. We want to believe that the things that you command are real and true and we need to take them to heart. God, may we take them to heart personally May we take them to heart corporately before we ever begin to think that we should take them to heart for our community. God, help this to be a reality here for us because, God, our world is in desperate need of saving grace. And may we walk out in that grace. May we model that grace. May we submit to your authority openly and without reservation. God, guide us in truth and righteousness for your name's sake. May your word have its penetrating, powerful ability in each of our hearts. Give us grace to understand this and to walk in this, God. May you be exalted in the lives of your church, your people. We ask in the name of Jesus, our Sabbath rest, our Savior, our Lord. Amen.